Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that this month's podcast is sponsored by the University of Cincinnati Online Bachelor in Respiratory Therapy Program. This program is geared towards registered respiratory therapists who are looking to advance their careers. The program is 100% online and has four full-time faculty members giving you a quality education from some of the top respiratory therapy professionals in the world. The University of Cincinnati BSRT program has end-to-end support to ensure your success. Don't delay. Reach out to a University of Cincinnati online enrollment specialist today at 833-556-7600 or at ucrt.online. Now I turn the program over to the Editor-in-Chief for the April podcast. Hello, welcome to the April 2020 Editor's Commentary and Respiratory Care podcast. My name's Rich Branson and I'm the Editor of Respiratory Care. This month's Editor's Choice evaluates a smoking cessation program for parents of patients treated at a children's hospital. Taylor et al. remind us that children are the most frequent victims of secondhand smoke, but also the least able to avoid exposure. The program included counseling and nicotine replacement therapy during hospitalization, followed by an outpatient referral. In this study, half of participants were able to quit before discharge. Linda Goodfellow contributes an editorial pointing out that this is a good start for smoking cessation, but cautions that longitudinal studies confirming long-term cessation are needed. Gallo de Morris and colleagues described the implementation of a protocolized treatment for acute respiratory distress syndrome at the Mayo Clinic. The emphasis of this protocol was early use of prone position in selected subjects. These would be the patients with the most severe hypoxic respiratory failure. The results demonstrated earlier use of prone position, the use of higher levels of positive end expiratory pressure, and lower driving pressures, resulting in a shorter ICU and hospital length of stay. However, mortality was unchanged. Spina et al. contributed a similar paper regarding ARDS management at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Their approach used a lung rescue team for the management of refractory hypoxemia. Members of the lung rescue team evaluated respiratory mechanics using esophageal manometry, echocardiography, and electrical impedance tomography. I think it's important to note that as of this reading at 2020 in April, there is no EIT available in the United States, and all this would have been done under an investigation. Evaluation by the lung rescue team resulted in changes to patient management in two-thirds of subjects, primarily through optimizing PEEP. Rotano and Fan provide an editorial that reviews the importance of both protocolized management of ARDS and individualized treatment by experts. They provide guidance based on evidence from the literature, identifying those interventions of merit, those that shouldn't be used, and those that require additional research. Zhang et al. evaluated lung function in children with asthma, trying to define the best indicators for determining the severity of illness. They measured traditional pulmonary function indices and calculated the mean value of the beta angle. They found that beta angle improved the sensitivity and specificity of exacerbation evaluations. Kohlbrenner and colleagues evaluated the one-minute sit-to-stand test to evaluate exercise capacity in transplant candidates. They noted strong correlations between the sit-to-stand and the six-minute walk distance. However, the sit-to-stand test elicited greater dyspnea and lower oxygen saturation. 
They suggest that the sit-to-stand test may be used when a walk test is not practical. Elbaheri and others describe the impact of an ambulatory clinic for the treatment of dyspnea in subjects with COPD. They retrospectively reviewed 45 COPD subjects and found that interventions reduced dyspnea in about half of the subjects. Importantly, those subjects with a reduction in dyspnea had fewer emergency room visits compared to non-responders. In a study of adults with community-acquired pneumonia, Rice and colleagues found that walking, measured by step count, was reduced in subjects with frailty. They measured walking and non-walking time using a wearable activity monitor. Subjects with community-acquired pneumonia spent little time walking, and those with a higher daily step count had a shorter hospital length of stay. Greater frailty was associated with a two-fold reduction in step count. With the graying of the population, the issue of frailty and its importance to outcomes is only going to become greater. Luel et al. provide evaluation of factors impacting the willingness of family members to consider palliative care in subjects requiring prolonged mechanical ventilation in Taiwan. Regulatory and prospective payment changes governing long-term care recently changed, and knowledge of these changes was not uniform among the population. Two-thirds of the families were willing to agree to palliative care. These data confirm the need to have subjects express their end-of-life choices and the need for cultural competence among caregivers. Howes and others evaluated the rate of extubation failure related to upper airway secretions and aspiration. In a prospective observational trial, patients on mechanical ventilation for longer than six days had a nine-point swallowing assessment prior to extubation. Of 159 subjects, 16 required reintubation in the first 72 hours, seven of those related to excessive secretions or aspiration of secretions. They found that presence of one or both gag reflexes was associated with reduced reintubation rate secondary to aspiration. Key and colleagues performed an observational study of postoperative monitoring in subjects using oximetry, capnography, and non-invasive respiratory rate and volume monitoring. The non-invasive respiratory rate and volume monitoring uses a device placed on the chest that's an L-shape that actually measures minute volume and respiratory rate and then makes a, a calculation of tidal volume. Device-specific alarm types, rates, and respective actions were recorded and analyzed. They found that nuisance alarms were more common with oximetry and capnography compared to the rate and volume monitor. Adherence was also greater with rate and volume monitoring. Ponce and Adele compared six oscillatory PEP devices in a bench model of active expiratory flow. Using a pulmonary waveform generator, they measured PEP, oscillation frequency, and amplitude. They noted significant differences in performance of devices. The therapeutic impact of these findings requires patient testing to determine the optimal characteristics. Burnett and others compared physical activity level and perception of exercise in a group of subjects with cystic fibrosis. Subjects were interviewed and completed self-reported questionnaires. Most subjects preferred walking and two-thirds felt exercise was important. Barriers to exercise included lack of energy, lack of self-discipline, and time constraints. The authors suggest that understanding perceptions can improve coaching of cystic fibrosis subjects regarding exercise. Nakagawa and colleagues evaluated risk factors for inspiratory muscle weakness in subjects with heart failure. They recorded health risk factors as well as pulmonary and echocardiographic function. Half of subjects demonstrated inspiratory muscle weakness, which was associated with lower left ventricular ejection fraction, smoking history, and lower systolic blood pressure. The ability of inspiratory muscle training to remedy inspiratory muscle weakness in this population requires further study. Jacobs and others contribute an invited review on extracorporeal carbon dioxide removal during continual renal replacement therapy. 
They note that almost half of ARDS patients will develop renal failure. Since a number of ARDS patients require continual renal replacement therapy, systems adapted from the CRRT platforms with blood flows under 500 milliliters a minute could achieve significant CO2 elimination. The combination of these two platforms you could see could allow lung protection to be optimized without the addition of additional equipment like ECMO systems or additional cannulation. I think this will prove to be a useful therapy in the future. Codroy et al. provide a systematic review of non-invasive ventilation on intubation rate in de novo respiratory failure. They identify 14 studies contributing 750 subjects, demonstrating an intubation rate of about 39%. Higher PEEP was associated with lower intubation rate. Sexus and others contribute a systematic review on inspiratory muscle training in older adults. A review of the literature identified seven trials involving 248 subjects. Studies revealed a positive trend towards the effectiveness of inspiratory muscle training for improving inspiratory muscle performance in the elderly. A period of four weeks appears to be a minimum time frame for muscle training. Lee et al. and Chatburn and Marilis Corbo de Villa contribute urine review papers on high flow nasal cannula and patient ventilator synchrony, respectively. Both feature seminal work published in the last 12 months. The work by Lee includes not only papers published in the literature, but her own work, which has been significant over the last 12 months. Chatburn's paper includes a framework for describing patient ventilator interaction, new definitions for the terms asynchrony and dyssynchrony, as well as a taxonomy of how to describe and talk about problems related to patient ventilator interaction. Dean Hess provides a new feature, the Cochrane Corner. These summaries highlight the key points of Cochrane reviews developed by the Cochrane Rehabilitation Group. This first feature addresses the question, should non-invasive ventilation be used for treatment of acute cardiogenic pulmonary edema? Cochrane Corners will become a routine feature of the journal. We appreciate you subscribing to and listening to the Respiratory Care Podcast, and thank you for your support of the journal. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. 